NZ Aerosports, Icarus Canopies, now Gyro. That's right, we've rebranded, and Gyro is our next generation. It honours our founder, as that's the name we knew him by, but Gyro also marks the start of a new chapter. And not to be biased, but it's going to be fucking epic. Long story short, we're more us than ever. So if you're new to the sport, or even a Sky God Ninja Turtle, welcome. I think our valiant leader Lucy, Gyro's daughter, Says it best. And we still got that fuck your attitude. <laughs> Rebrand! Woo! Rebrand woo indeed, Lucy. Anyway, head over to gyro.com for more info and get amongst your legends. I was 19, broke, unemployed, and sold my girlfriend's canopy for drug money. So, I thought I'd better sell her a new one. What a sentence and what a story. This describes the humble yet outrageous beginnings of NZ Aerosports, the home of Icarus Canopies, in the words of our founder himself. From getting a paratrooper toy from his mom, watching parachutes at the DZ as a six-year-old, jumping off the wharf with a parachute made from bedsheets, doing his first jump at 16, sewing his first canopy on a borrowed machine at 19, and starting to sell parachutes out of a garage in 1986, Paul Gyro Martin had an undying love for the sky. Our company started with one man with the wildest of spirits in a true blue sky dream, a renegade. In the time that Gyro created and ran the Icarus Canopies brand until he passed away in 2017, he pushed everything he had to its limits. We miss him and we always will. Gyro is the next generation of NZ Aerosports. It honors our founder, of course, because it was the name we all knew him by, but Gyro the rebrand also marks the start of a new chapter, our next jump. Gyro is the space between sound and silence, art and science, chaos and calm. Gyro is a state of epic tranquility that transcends understanding. That moment, in the door, in free fall, mid-swoop, where nothing but the present exists. A perfect balance of euphoria and thrill. Gyro captures our passion for flying and our commitment to designing break-the-fucking-rules canopies that deliver pilots pure, wild flight. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for a special edition of Lunatic Fringe, because I'm hopping in the Wayback Time Machine for this one. Let's just get started. Who the fuck are you guys, and what do you do? <laughs> We're the Rands. I'm Ella Rand. That's Jonathan Rand. Oh, oh my God, these faces. <laughs> it's been We're a while. 18 years. Yeah, we haven't seen each other in 17 years. Yep, yep. Although I've kept up with all the stuff that you guys have been doing, and uh, and uh, I know you're still pretty active, but what are you guys doing work-wise now? Well, I'm actually running two small businesses right now. So I have an outdoor store that is really fueling my passion for connecting people with the outdoors and being active, having an active lifestyle and all the gear that you need to make that achievable and accessible. 
And then I also own a yoga studio that is right across from Skydive Delane that I bought. Nice. Nice. So you do bendy, twisty stuff that I should have been doing for the last 20 something years. Yeah, me too. I mean, I found it too, too late in life after I'd already injured myself skydiving, but it's definitely something that keeps me sane and keeps me feeling whole and able to do all my activities and fun stuff. So I'm sure you've thought the same thing then. Uh, If I had only started yoga back when I started skydiving, Mm -hmm. how much better off I'd be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) True. I'm still refusing. I'm refusing to do yoga. Are you really? He did it for a few weeks, like five, 10 minutes a day. And then he was like, it's life changing. I'm hopping out of bed with no pain. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And then he just stopped and he (laughs) refuses again. But Yonatan, Yonatan, you look like somebody that does yoga. Good, but I don't. (laughs) (laughs) so Jonathan, how do you keep yourself busy i when i got tired of skydiving i taught myself how to program and uh been doing the same thing since and uh last three years got back into well 2018 it dawned on me that i'm in the united states and uh, there are tunnels. So I started working in the tunnel, which brought me back into skydiving. Um, not full-time, but very close to. So I'm doing tandems, FF, coaching, organizing some event events, sequential events and so on, you know, going to events. If there's a record, I'll go running and try and join it until they sure. take me off. Not sure. try and join. They're inviting him to be on the base. And he, yeah. When he wants back in, he's in, you know. Of course, of course. Well, I mean, it's got to be kind of tough to get completely out of skydiving when you're, like, right there with the land. I mean, come on. Yeah, it is. But the land has the beautiful uh, feature of uh, there's a cloud in the sky and our pilot's tired. <laughs> so let's shut up, shut down at 2 in the afternoon. Fair enough. Frustrating. Yeah, no, no, I could imagine. Um, when I first got out to uh, skydive Dubai, it was still a pretty relaxed spot, and somebody'd spot a cloud five miles away and go, "Oh, nope, there's weather coming. We're done," and shut it down for the day. <laughs> that was that was back in the day, though, long time ago. So, uh, as per my usual, I always get my jump, guests to jump back to their beginning. So, uh, anything extreme, whether it be skydiving or something else, how, what got you guys started? I was in uh i was a jump master in the israel military um so they literally kicked me out of the plane (laughs) um which at first i didn't like and then i did and at the same time my sister had already started skydiving for different reasons so at some point we were doing free fall progression at the drop zone in israel sky club at the time and i was doing a iad which Mm. is assisted iad IAD, not IED. Structure assisted deployment. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I remember one specific jump where I'm sitting in the plane with my sisters in the plane as well. And I had two options. One of them was I can jump out of the plane with the possibility of death, or I can stay in the plane with my sister and positive 100% death. I guarantee. Like, I'm going to get out. It's, It's my chances are better out there. And that was the start. I remember one specific jump where I think I was like at three seconds of free fall and I got out and I did the three seconds and I pulled and under canopy and just looking down and I saw the the instructor that had just thrown us all out, jump out and just take a 20 second free fall or something. And I just remember seeing him fall and that was it. I was 
100 percent in. I want you just to just hooked on. Huh? Now was this in yeah. this was in Israel, all of it? This, this was in Israel. I was still in the military. Uh and we did the free fall progression at the drop zone because it was cheaper than flying C-130s all the time. Sure. Um, so yeah, that this was in like 97, late okay. 97. Um got out of the military at 2001 and uh, I, I went to the drop zone and I sat down and after about two hours the DZ like the, the people there came up to me and were like the fuck are you doing man and I looked at them and said well I'm not leaving till I get a job hey. and they're like all right let's go we got trash cans that need emptying and that was that was it that was the start huh yep well so with uh, with Israel uh, the military service is mandatory correct yes what is it two years Two years for women, three years for, for men. And if you do something special that requires extra training, pilots, for example, then there is, you sign up for, you have to sign up for longer. Sure. So I did three years from uh, August 97 till 2001. Uh, and I, I did uh, 256 military jumps in the military, which isn't normal. I was just was like, I'm in. I just want to get out of here. Sure. So when everybody was like, I don't want to do the jump, I was like, I'll do it. And I just went for it. And this is round canopy, military jumps, not sure, not ram air or anything. So it was He seen some pretty cool shit too. Didn't you push explosives out of a C-130 or something? Yeah, we did. Nice. Uh, my favorite story was uh, we were dropping, we did a uh, um, cargo drop, which we had two 16-foot pallets in a C-130. Each one of them was full, had fuel, and live rockets, like Apache <laughs> attack helicopter rockets and ammunition on them. <laughs> for somebody that for a, a team that was doing uh training on the ground. And the first pallet just shoots out and parachutes open. And we're like, cool, that was fun. And the second pallet shoots out <laughs> and nothing opens. And we all run to the end of the ramp. We're like, what? And we just see it falling and hit the ground and <laughs> like that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. And my friend was on the ground waiting for this to come. And he said, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Because <laughs> the first one opened, it was like, it's cool. But the second one just coming down and just. Yeah. Oh, they're kids. They're like 18 years old doing this. Of course. Of course. Well, I, I mean, I, I ended up in the military young as well. And I ended up uh, um, just kind of going wherever they put me. But they let me fill out what they call a dream sheet, where you get to say where you'd like to go in a perfect world. Uh, and my one and only choice was Miramar, which was Top Gun. Um, and I ended up stationed at Top Gun, That's scrubbing awesome. toilets and towing <laughs> airplanes <laughs> and work. yeah, all the shit work. But uh, I still ended up there. So it was still the same thing. You're 18 years old. And I'm like, I'm fucking this is amazing. You know, really, really cool. So okay. Ella, how, how did you get started? Uh, well, I grew up in Deland, So I'm one of the few people jumping here that's actually a native Delandite <laughs> and so I was around skydivers like my brother did a tandem when I was still a teenager and I knew that I was going to jump at some point like it was always an interest and something in the back of my mind and you said to go back to like the first extreme stuff well yeah I don't really see surfing as extreme to me it's just like one of the most awesome things mm. but I started surfing years before I started skydiving so that was probably like the first thing where I was you know in nature and feeling that kind of presence and connection with the moment. And sure. so I knew that skydiving is a thing I'm going to love. And I just didn't have an opportunity to do it until I came back from the first time I went to school to college. 
and I was working here at Boston Coffee Shop in Deland. And so all the skydivers would come in. So I started making friends with all the jumpers. And, uh, you know, they're like, you got to come jump. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I'm gonna. And they're like, <laughs> okay, I'll take you on a tandem. I'm like, okay. So I did my first jump. And then I knew from the very first time I was hooked. Like, I need to do this. This is yeah. going to be part of my life. So I continued working at the coffee shop, but I also got a job at the restaurant and the bar on the drop zone. Nice. So I would go to go to coffee shop to work in the morning, leave, go make a jump in the afternoon and then go to work at the bar and just like worked as much as I could to jump as much as I could. And in the first month, I think I did 50 jumps my first month of skydiving. Wow. And it just continued kind of like that for quite a while. That's and, really cool. You know, it's, yeah. it, it's funny that you say that uh, um, surfing really isn't considered extreme. And I don't know about you guys, but it's so hard to fit that word into what we do anymore. I mean, skydiving was an extreme sport in the nineties. Like it was, it still seemed extreme then, but we have so many friends now that do shit that makes what I do in skydiving look, look so, vanilla. yeah, look so pedestrian. Right. Yeah. I mean, the stuff that's considered normal nowadays is so much over and above the stuff that I did when I was starting. So now it's, I hate using the word extreme. Unfortunately, that's how they still, it's an extreme sport. Well, it's all about perspective of like, what do you find risky? You know, if I tell somebody I love to go surfing, they're like, oh, you surf in New Smyrna, but what about the sharks? It's shark bite capital of the world. And I'm like, yeah, I've surfed over, literally surfed over a shark and seen a hammerhead and seen a, a, you know, black tip next to me while I'm riding the wave and it was terrifying but like I yeah I don't feel that it's extreme it's just like I'm mitigating the risk that I can but I'm also living my life to the best that I can and I don't want to not live so like skydiving is I don't feel that it's extreme to me but I think that's just perspective and maybe we've been jaded by all of our other experiences well on the one hand we can we can all agree that we've been in the sport for long enough to say it's not extreme but how many people do we know that have not survived the sport Oh, without a doubt, without so, a doubt. So it does increase your your chances of not making it to old age. Sure. I, I always kind of figured that maybe the, with skydiving, the extreme part came along, not because of the, um, the safety record of skydiving, but because of the speed at which everything moves. Because scuba diving is not considered an extreme sport. But it's fucking so much more dangerous than skydiving. I mean, there's nothing up there that's going to try and bite me. I'm never going to run out of oxygen. I just might run out of air. You know, I mean, it's there's so much more that can go wrong 30 or 40 feet down on a scuba dive than 10,000 feet up on a skydive. Um, but everything moves dramatically faster and it scares people. <laughs> yeah. So, I think I th- what makes it extreme and the reason why we have so many friends that exit this world is maybe because of our sense of uh ego and wanting to always like push the limits too. like oh we're so excited by this amazing new thing and we get this high and this hit of adrenaline and then we're like what can i do next and so like the longer we're in the sport the more skilled we become at the things that we're doing so then we start to push the limits we're downsizing our canopies or we're branching out into other types of flying whether it's tunnel or paragliding or base jumping or speed flying so I think that's the other element of it, that we just tend to be those type of people that seek adventure and thrill and fun. And so, you know, we just dabble in all these extreme sports. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I, I never minded the title extreme sport when uh, a non-jumper is talking about what I do, because let's face it, it just kind of makes you sound cool. 
<laughs> until you get around a bunch of other jumpers and they're like, this dude's a fucking pussy, man. <laughs> <laughs> what a tool. Gonna yeah, right? Princess for the rest of his life. Yeah, yeah. How did 20... you get that name princess, by the way? Oh, the very short story was um, I got uh, a guy by the name of Michael Hawks who owned the Skydive uh, Dubai or Skydive Dubai. Um, Skydive Las Vegas drop zone got mad at me and called me a fucking prima donna. And then a bunch of Brits that I worked with uh, took me out for a goodbye party and I did not drink at all. They got me really drunk and I threw up all over the place and they were calling me prima donna, but one decided it was too long. So he shortened it to princess and it fucking stuck. It was for me working with you, jacked muscle, big guy, princess, perfect. (laughs) I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was well, and we'll definitely get to a, a few cross key stories. There's no doubt about that. But before uh, we get too far into it, when did you leave Israel and head to the states and start jumping in in Mecca, so to speak? So I think it was like after two years of working at uh, in Israel, and I became, let's call it, the biggest fish in a very tiny uh, drop of water for skydiving. Sure. And I was like, I, I don't know how to do anything. I can barely head down. And this is the, if I want to progress, this is not the place. And I had a friend that had spent a season um, packing at Krosky's. And he was like, if you want to go anywhere, that's the place to go. <laughs> so I had a bunch of money saved up. And uh, I moved to Krosky's and uh, started there as I just got there. I had a thousand jumps and I didn't even have a packing slot or anything. And I, wedged my way into becoming becoming a packer and set my butt down and that's that's where i was that point on cross keys was kind of especially for that time that's the drop zone where people just decided job or not i'm going there and i'm staying until they fucking put me to work because that happened with a lot of people yeah i i i lived in a tent for many months in the forest in the back if you remember that place. oh yeah and i did any and all jobs that was good. I was a painter and I was trash and I was whatever needs to be done. I'll do it so I can get the next jump ticket and jump some more. Yep. Yeah, now, that was the place to be. It was what uh, what year would that have been? That was, I think, 2003. Okay, so you got there the year before I did. Yeah. Okay. No, I, was it? Because I, I packed for, yeah, I guess I packed for one season. And then I got my USPA AFF rating and tandem rating. and, and it, Yeah, because you and I were in the jump rotation together starting yeah. in 04. Because I came with, uh, um, oh, I can't remember his name. Everybody called him Yoda. He only lasted a couple of weeks. Um, they sent him out to Sussex and he got pissed, so they he quit. Or as we called it, sucks ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I can't remember his name. But yeah, so I, I mean, I came out there and by then you you were already jumping. But what was that like? Because I mean, were you kind of like this fresh-faced kid straight from Israel that had no idea? Or did you know what you were getting into? I had no idea what I was getting into. Crew cut, straight, <laughs> oh, fuck crew cut, me. tall, lanky, and uh, oh, showing my dreads. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was, it was, I remember the first time just seeing a twin otter and a sky van and a, and a porter and a caravan and a helicopter. And it blew my mind that one place 
always has all these things and the landing area and oh, oh we have a uh, 120 ways happening next weekend which is just <laughs> fuck 120 ways just laying there looking and hearing a formation for the first time in my life yep. before the equal was just blew my mind sure and it was having a packing like a loft a rigging loft and just everything is right there it was it was a good place to to be exposed to what skydiving is sure both in, in uh professionalism and and it was like you know most advanced at the time with monkey claw and whatever oh yeah and the parties monkey oh man what's he gave me a um nickname that didn't stick thankfully but he called me a thunder cunt one day oh it wasn't me no monkey claw. monkey monkey lip monkey lip oh that's somebody else still Wait, now I need to hear the Thundercunt story. <laughs> oh, it was just some issue with landing and traffic and like, you know, I, I it was a busy, busy, uh busy weekend day and uh I was she we was doing video. doing video and he got cut off by me on landing or something. And I was like, Hey man, like how did that happen? And how can we avoid this in the future and be safer? And uh and he just started like railing on me and then he called me a thundercunt. Then she leaves you. the video room. Yeah. And I'm standing there and I'm like, she can take care of herself. She's good. And I'm just editing a video and he says, what a fucking thunder cunt. <laughs> I pause what I'm doing and I turn around and I'm relatively tall. So I, I walk up right close to him and he's here and I look down at him and he looks up and I go, you watch what you're saying about her. I'm sorry. And he turns around to start editing and I'm like, all right, I turned back. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's great, though, right? You get you get your point across. As long as yeah. the point is made, then it's it. So, uh, Ella, you you started jumping into land. Obviously, still being into land, you uh, you liked what you found there. But what was your progression in the sport? Because you were working in the bar, but uh, how did you transition into working in it? Yeah. Well, the first couple of jobs I had, I right away pretty quickly did a an apprenticeship with Pablito at UPT to get my riggers ticket and I know him well so yeah so packing was packing and rigging were my first jobs and I actually also worked at Aerotech building rigs so I did a lot of sewing stuff in the beginning um and then I'm I went to Skydive New England was my first real job at a drop zone and I was working as a packer and a rigger there and that's where we got together um, toward the end of that season. So I did packing and then Jonathan and I met and I left and followed him to Israel and back to Cross Keys where um, we weaseled my way into a videography job. So I was doing <laughs> video there, which was awesome. It was a fantastic season. Like I think I did 17 jumps on one of my busiest days. It was just like video, video, edit, video, video, edit, like no time for even peeing or drinking or eating. Yep. Um, and then after that season was when we came back down to Florida, moved to Israel for a handful of years where I became the first female tandem instructor in Israel. So wow. I opened up the sport for religious, um, Orthodox, Jewish and Muslim women to be able to skydive because until wow. then they couldn't jump because, you know, they can't sit on a man's lap and be connected to them. So sure. So that was cool. So I did video and tandems there. And that was about the time that he was getting a little bit jaded and sick of jumping and i wasn't getting sick of jumping i was getting mad at skydiving hey. uh, it was it was being in a situation where the sport was progressing and i was we were stuck in israel where 
basically the only thing we could do was tandems. Sure. And I can see people flying in the tunnel and I can't. And I can see people doing these formations and doing stuff that I really want to do and I can't because I'm stuck skydiving wise where we were. Sure. And I got so frustrated and so annoyed that I was like, I want nothing to do with skydiving. It's, <laughs> it's, I hate it. It's bullshit. The environment was not very fun jumper friendly and they weren't really trying to push the sport. It was just like tandems, just tandems. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing that happened to skydiving and it's a horrible thing that happened to skydiving all in one, because I don't know any working skydiver nowadays that, that would be where we are without tandems. But I also know, I don't know how many drop zones that have been devastated by tandems because that's yeah. where, that's the only way to make money. Um, and I would jokingly say as a jump pilot, all those years that the worst thing ever to happen to skydiving was skydivers. Because as a jump pilot, tandems are easy. Up and down yeah. all day long, you turn on the green, everybody fucking gets out. There's no calls for go-arounds. Nobody's trying to correct shit. They just Maybe leave. <laughs> yeah, all of that stuff. You know, it, uh, it it's very easy when it's a tandem machine. But then I would have the weekend off and want to go jump. And now I'm a skydiver again that hates tandems because you're waiting an hour and a half to get on a load and you know it's all that stuff so i i definitely feel you there and it, it's sad when it's not the sport that you hate it's just the situation in the sport that you're stuck yeah. in. and then we, we moved back to the u.s in 2013 and i was still stuck in the end of 2012 <laughs> for, for new year's 2013 our timelines don't really lie <laughs> okay i i believe you you guys so, have been together a little while, haven't you? Almost 20 years, eight, 17 years. We've been yeah. married 16 years this year. How crazy is that? Yeah. So How crazy. crazy is that? And we're we're more in love today than we've ever been. Like, oh, oh. God, you <laughs> us this morning when we woke up. It was just so adorable. Um, was very horny. <laughs> Fair enough. So, hey. We're also very much in love. Yeah. We've. Yeah, we've had a, a fantastic relationship that's only getting better. Which is how it's supposed to be. I mean, that's kind of the fairy tale. It doesn't happen very often. So I'm glad that you guys appreciate and enjoy what you've got because it's it's a rarity, even in the sport. It's a rarity. For sure. That's yeah. cool. So, Jonathan, back to your arrival at Cross Keys as this fresh-faced, really tall, crew-cut uh, Israeli who just stumbled into the craziest fucking drug fueled party scene on the face of the planet. And he's straight edge. Yeah, too. I know <laughs> not drinking, not doing any drugs, but still managing to enjoy the party and have fun with everybody. I mean, you had to have scratched your head because uh, as one of those that did partake a few times, we did some really stupid shit. It was fantastic to watch from the side. I really, really enjoyed there was that one time, I'll never forget this, where... With the ladder? Yeah. Project Horizon, if you remember what this was, was an invitational event that would move from drop zone to drop zone. Free flying, like trying to push the limits of free flying. Mm -hmm. I was nowhere, at that point, nowhere near the level to be invited to this. But they were at Cross Keys, and they convinced Selwyn. It was night. It was storming outside. Like... There's a thunderstorm, lightning strikes repeatedly happening outside, and they convince him, I think it was for 50 bucks, to strip down naked. They wrapped him in tin foil, gave him an aluminum ladder, and told him, go run around the pond. Yep. Yep. And he, and he stripped down, he was naked. They wrapped him around in tin foil, and he ran around, and everybody's running around him with cameras. 
And I was just like standing there watching this going, this place has got to be the greatest place in the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually, I have a beautiful picture of him wrapped in tinfoil holding the ladder. And you can clearly see his knob is wrapped in tinfoil as yeah, well. Individually like these. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, the, the twig and berries are separately wrapped. It's fucking fantastic. Amazing. Oh, yeah. But it was, I, I mean, I, I moved to Cross Keys from, of all places, Las Vegas. And I was like, I've stumbled into the craziest place on earth at Cross Keys. Because I think I had been there two months when the peanut butter experience happened. I know about which one butter. which peanut butter experience the cusky the one on the back deck the cusky yeah okay. <laughs> oh my god I we've talked about this before I had a uh, uh, young Mark Norman on I've had uh, will on the podcast as well and so the the peanut butter came up so I won't tell the whole story again but you know it um passed out on the back deck ends up naked with peanut butter in the drop zone dog and they can they can sort out the rest by the way I have a guarantee for a future interview date with the one and only Mr. Selwyn Facey. Yes. That, that, I'll never forget the one time he was, I assume, on acid. I walk into the bathroom at night. And he's just standing there staring at the mirror. He's got a tie-dye shirt on. And then he just starts pulling colors off his shirt and throwing it at the at himself in the mirror. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? He was like, he's throwing paint at me. And he's pointing at himself in the mirror. And he just had a paint, just pulling and just losing his mind. Yep. Such yep. a beautiful soul, but also a very highly entertaining person. Oh, my so, God. Oh, my uh, God, yes. Well, I'll never forget the first time that I met him and Will. I'd only been at the drop zone for like a day or two. And I happened to have two rigs because I was told if you're going to be shooting video, you got to be able to do back to back. So I had two rigs when I went out there. And they knew that I was there to work, but they hadn't, neither of them had introduced themselves to me. And they're running off the landing area and they're training because they want to be competing in free fly. And they asked me, have you got any rigs? And I'm like, yeah, there's a blue one right next to a, a black micron and cool, thanks. And grabbed them without even knowing what was in them. Didn't matter. Tossed them on, right. went out and jumped my gear. And I'm like, oh, I, I guess I work with those guys. <laughs> it was so crazy. And Edo's, I mean, he loved the fact that that place was as insane as it was. Yeah, he he. I, I remember one time uh, I was driving to the drop zone and stopped at the gas station, and Kuski walks okay. up to me. He's got his canopy open under over his shoulder. He's naked except for a tutu, mm -hmm. just a tutu in his canopy. And, he, and I'm like, I, I stop and I look at him. I'm like, Hey, Kuski, what's going on? And apparently, Edo's told him, put that on the tutu. Take a rig, get in the helicopter. So he did. And he flew him up to 3,500 feet, flew him off the drop zone, and told him to get the fuck out. <laughs> so Kuski did. And then he's landed in the middle of nowhere, naked except for a tutu. Just for his enjoyment? Yeah. Because that was like, that was, that was awesome. I enjoyed that. And he's like, can I have a ride back to the drop zone? And I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> drove off, left him there, walking with his canopy and his tutu. But naked. Oh, oh, Edo's was he was the one that started most of the shit. He would just kind of get the ball rolling and then step back to a safe distance and watch it happen. Like that was his thing was he loved to get it started and then just see how far it would get taken, which was usually always too damn far. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
the crew we had because it was Mark Norman, it was Rob Stanley, it was Will and Selwyn, it was, I mean, Kuski, all the monkey clock guys. You and I were out there. Uh, who else? Um, Jacko was there, Kim Worthington. I mean, holy shit, what a crew. We had uh, Jono. Jono flying. Uh, yep. And we had uh, Crow, Tristan. <laughs> Do you remember what they uh, ended up calling him? No. I, th- I think they started calling him, what did they start calling him? The, the Merchant of Death or something? Because he had flown like, mm-hmm. I want to say, four or five different fatalities out of his plane. Just in this horrible string of luck. Because he was flying the sky van when that the um the lady fell out of her harness. Oh my god! Was that yeah. no? He wasn't flying that in Atlanta. Oh wait, no, no, no. He was flying the paraplegic guy that fell out of his harness. Yeah, that's, okay. That's the one that. <laughs> silly me. <laughs> How's the other? Person I, I remember that out? one because uh, um, Worthington was standing there, and I was standing next to her, watching the guy get geared up. And she looked at him, and she looked at what they're doing. She looks at me, and goes. That guy's gonna die, and walks away. He died. You know what's really funny about that story, and I've never heard that before. Do you want to know how Kim Worthington introduced Craig Kuski to me? Hey, this is Craig. He's gonna be the next person to die at Cross Keys. Oh, <gasps> she didn't. She did, and he was. Oh my god, Kim! Chicken. Kim. Kim. Kim is death incarnate. It's <laughs> it's her. Oh, Worthington. <laughs> well, good thing she's on the other side of the planet now. She's right? having a wonderful life in Australia. I've got to ask you something. As as a jump pilot. Yeah. Ex-jump pilot. Do you remember when we'd sit in the twin outer and uh, whoever was flying was flying and we'd reach over and, and fuck with stuff? Oh, yeah. We were just talking about this yesterday. How, how would you as a jump pilot feel if somebody did that to you now? You're just flying around and all of a sudden the plane starts pitching down. You're like, what the fuck? Well, I have a I have a rather unique perspective on that exact question. John Eddowes is actually the one that taught me how to fuck with the elevator trim in a twin otter. And he taught me and then two later two loads later I was doing it and that's when the pilot lost his shit and kicked the rudder super hard and almost knocked Sarah out of the plane. We landed Eddowes calls me on a shutdown, calls me over. Did you fuck with the trim? I'm like, yes, I did. He calls the pilot over and smiles and goes, you're fucking fired. Fired the pilot and patted me on the back. <laughs> you kidding me? No. His re- well, I mean, his reaction was pretty violent. Well, yeah, his his logic was was perfect. Eddowes was like, if that's how you react from yeah. somebody fucking with your trim, what are you going to do when you have an actual emergency? Actual emergency, Yeah. So in answer to your question, because I actually got one of my brethren back in the day fired, I always <laughs> had the mirror to watch the jumpers specifically set so that every time one of those fucking yahoos of mine would get behind me that I knew would fuck with me, I could see the trim. So mm-hmm. I avoided it. But I would like to think, because I flew shit, I, I, I have a little, a little right around 11,000 hours in Twin Otters. And I'd like to think that I just kind of look down and laugh, but it now, depends. We, on a caravan, I remember we'd unzip the the roof cover so that we could pull a cable. Oh my god! And fuck with with the pilot. Fucking unzip jumpers. Pull, then zip back up, and I didn't do anything. Yep. 
Yep the uh, um, the mechanic uh, that was at Cross Keys named Bagel. You remember him? Yeah. So we were flying one of the Cessnas to go inspect that Twin Otter that uh, um, that uh, a, a pilot had taxied into a hangar. Uh, we were inspecting it for Edo's, and I was flying, building up hours, and he was doing that shit to me. But I had like. 90 hours at the time so i'm like oh my god something's wrong <laughs> you know <laughs> low enough that it was that, that twin otter sitting there without wings i would tell people stories about that yep like i remember standing there with a tandem student waiting for the plane the plane starts up and he taxes next to us and taxes away and takes off and he's like what's going on i was like you see that other twin otter there with the wings on the side and he's like yep he's like Last time we got on that one and we taxied and tried to take off and the winds flew off. So now we we test it before we get on. <laughs> and tandem students are like, checks out. Yep. Makes sense. God, the stuff that we used to do with those tandems, because Cross Keys was an insanely busy tandem factory that also mm -hmm. happened to have a lot of fun jumpers. But I mean, you remember on Fridays and Saturdays, you'd do 25 tandems a day. Mm -hmm. do, do you remember the Red Bull? world record yeah I do i 26 in a day yeah. yep yep i why well, I, I have a record for throwing up three times in a day ew why? All, I all i drank was all fucking red bull. red bull yeah oh okay that's Understood. all we had just red bull and tandems and then i stopped at 26 because john edwards was like i needed to do demos off the helicopter into the pond i was like yeah. i'm in let's yep. go yep i did 29 jackson i think had the record that day and he did 31 yeah which is insane okay. well like jekyll and i screwed ourselves because at the beginning of the day we learned that if you land really quick the way they were gathering up all the customers they put them just kind of in a bullpen and you would just grab the next geared up customer and get on the plane so we learned really quick if you run really fast you get to grab all the cute girls so we're running past everybody grab a cute girl get on the airplane but about jump number 15 or so on all the cute girls had jumped and it was just a bunch of middle-aged chubby pissed off guys that we'd been running past all day uh and we got you know really angry sweaty guys in i think it was in august in cross keys that was a good day though yeah it was a fantastic day and the party that night was kind of out of control <laughs> it was man i remember they had a fire truck that just poured out beer. Yeah. Oh, the fire hose? Yeah. They oh. filled it, fire truck, a real fire truck. They filled it with beer. And that's like a beer bong on crack. Yeah. Well, they hired a bunch of uh, um, uh, cocktail waitresses and dressed them all up as like uh, old World War One flyers with the hats and the goggles and everything to be the waitresses. And they had this huge spread of food for everybody to eat. But um, most of us were too sick from drinking Red Bull all day and couldn't eat. And the other half that weren't too sick had already started dropping Molly and, and were already too far gone. <laughs> so it was craziness. So... The the how about you, Ella? Any wild and crazy days? Was it all Deland, or or was it uh, by the time you hit Cross Keys, it had mellowed out? You know, I feel kind of gypped hearing all the stories about Cross Keys because <laughs> the season that I was working there, it wasn't as insane. However, I got my fill at Skydive New England. Okay. So you guys talk about Cross Keys being crazy, but like talk about drug fueled partying. I mean, we had one month and a half of the season where it just rained every single day i remember oh. we didn't see a blue sky not even a hole in the sky for maybe six weeks 
Wow. And so, you know, what do you do when you can't jump and you're in the middle of Lebanon, Maine and, you know, uh, surrounded by skydivers with nothing else to do. So we, yeah, we didn't get hurt, but we certainly partied, so, but I wasn't like, I mean, I wasn't straight edge like Yano, but I wasn't super heavy into drugs ever. Sure. I think as I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm coming around to it yeah. a little bit more. Like, yeah. you know, I like the psychedelics. <laughs> Can I the say? older we get, the more <laughs> we're like, when I leave here, that's what I'm going to get. Right. Mushrooms, like, well, it, it's funny. My, uh, my wife has got another year to go to finish up her psychology stuff and she wants to go into therapy working with psilocybin. Yeah. Um, which is fantastic, especially uh, with what's going on in the States. And and we're probably only a year or two away from them legalizing it for therapy, which is fucking yeah. incredible. And yeah. here I am going, psilocybin is fun. Ooh, fun. <laughs> I'm going to go play with bubbles in the backyard. Yep. I'm <laughs> I went from straight edge to I haven't tried that yet. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's kind of funny because uh, if – at the time when you and I met, you already had the dreads growing, uh, going. And, and of course, in, in Cross Keys at that time, if you were jumping, half of the time you're walking around with no shirt on and your, your jumpsuit tied around your waist if it's a weekday and all that. And if you had lined everybody up and asked them who in this crowd does drugs, you probably would have been the first person I pointed at. I'm like, that yeah. guy's a fucking stoner. There's no way he's not. Yeah. And then we became friends and I'm like, dude, you don't even drink? Like, holy shit. All right, cool. Here we go. So, you know, Yano and I both had dreads. And when I first came to Cross Keys, I remember sitting at that little bar outside and somebody walked up behind me and tapped me on the shoulder and was like, Yano. And I turned around and I'm like, what like they mistook me for him and that wasn't even the first time that people thought we were related like familial relations in israel people went up to his dad and were like do you have another daughter i don't know about didn't even know the connection between yana and i dating and thought that i was his sister so we kind of played that off too when we were in cross keys we fucked with the tandem passengers sometimes no that was that was cruzy he initiated that cruzy did initiate it but he was like you know you know those two they're they're from uh, alabama or kentucky <laughs> and then right before and we heard him talking about this so we really went in for the smooch right before they're, they're, exit they're siblings know. they're from alabama yeah, that's what he kind of said what, that's how they do and then before exit be like you know Big old kids, yeah, and then, then leave. <laughs> which, which actually, uh, you could actually pull off because Jonathan, you have like no accent. You you have an American accent. So considering you know you grew up and went through the Israeli military and everything, to have no accent whatsoever is. Uh, did you work at keeping the accent at bay, or did you just end up? Well, he you know? went to he went to so, American school, yeah, like when, international. My, school. my English started from an American school, so my parents were diplomats. So kindergarten and first and I'd say most of second grade, I went to an American school surrounded by Americans. Okay. But my English that I was exposed to was American English. Uh, and then when I came to the U.S., just being immersed in it, it just came back. And I'll, I can pull you in the other direction. So we lived in Israel for a few years. So when I speak Hebrew, people think that I'm Israeli. Nice. And when he speaks English, people think he's American. Now, did so you learn really Hebrew just because you were with Jonathan, or was this something you learned before? Um, it was something that I learned only after we went to Israel, but I always had an interest in languages. Like, really, the multicultural aspect mm -hmm. of skydiving is one of the reasons I got into it because I just sure. knew I wanted to travel and or spawn. Uh, yeah, this is, our, <laughs> this is our human. Nice. Hello. Had a princess. <laughs> I would I would curtsy if I was standing up. 
<laughs> it's 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 cool that uh, that you did the language thing. I, I would love to, and I wish that I had more of an aptitude for language. But uh, not only do I not have an incredible aptitude for language, but I also married a Finnish woman, and mm. there's no fucking way in hell I'm learning to speak Finnish. It's an insane language. It's like yeah. a record playing backwards. It just doesn't sound right. It's all vowels. <laughs> it's it's not right. So we just watched the movie Sisu. Did you? Oh, yeah, he's finished. Oh, it's so good. You got to watch it. Oh, yeah. I'll have to give it a shot. So, Jonathan, you got burned out on jumping. You're like, "F this. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and and uh, be a coder." Yeah. What was this something that you had a a passion for or it's just a I need to find a job outside of skydiving. I'm going to give this a shot. It started with uh you remember CK1? Oh yeah. So I needed, we needed a website. So I taught myself how to do that. And it, pro it progressed from me being happy with the website for a week. I'd be like, it's good. And then after a week, I'd be like, it's crap. So I'd learn some more and make it better and better and better and better and learn more. And then when we moved to Israel, I need to do something. So I started marketing myself as that. And then I learned more and more and more. And uh, that was it. I nice. taught myself how to code. Nice. And then Ellie, you had mentioned... Smart. You had mentioned a while back that you uh, had gone to college. What were you studying? What were you going to be when you grew up? Um, oh, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but I studied government diplomacy and strategy. So I've always had an interest in, I know, that's a mouthful. Wow. <laughs> I'm still, I'm, I'm volunteering my time in capacities, you know, that are related. Like I, I sit on a couple of local government boards and stuff, but um, yeah, it was basically international relations, Middle East conflict, history, and both my parents were teachers. My dad was a history teacher. My mom was a math teacher, and they're both bibliophiles and book bookstore owners. Sure. So, this must be a very interesting time for you. It is. I mean, we've had no shortage of interesting oh, times, even since we were living in Israel. I mean, sure. when I was studying was when the Arab Spring was happening. Wow. And I was doing my degree during that time. So it was really, it was fascinating. I, Yonatan, I, I actually thought of you recently when I was still in Dubai, because I was in Dubai for 10 years. And of course, for the longest time, um, Israel and the UAE were not getting along so great um, to the point where uh, I had gone visiting a bunch of different places in the Middle East, but would have had to use a separate slip of paper yeah. if mm -hmm. I wanted to go to Israel and then come back to the UAE. Mm -hmm. But I was so proud to see that change before I left, because now, of course, the UAE has good relations with Israel for the first time. And I don't even know when. And I got to okay. meet I got to meet a bunch of fucking badass Israeli skydivers that had come from Israel to jump in Dubai. And I was so stoked. And all I was thinking was, where's Jonathan? I want him to come here. Come on, come play. I mean, the whole, the whole, I think the whole skydiving world, at least in our clique of friends and our community, we're really happy for him to come back. And now he's doing some really cool shit again, like doing sure. sequential events and like one of the absolute most fun skydive days I've had in the last 10 years are when he did a sequential, like we we're doing 20 ways in Sebastian a few months ago with all of our friends. So I'm, I'm happy that he's back into it because, you know, he's got so much more experience in me and he's so talented and, and he's coming up with some good ideas. Sure. Jonathan, how's it feel? How's it feel to step away from it and come back and know you still got the chops to keep up with the kids? Um, it feels pretty good. It's uh, it's uh, it's nice to see that ideas that I've had 
that we couldn't do because they were just fucking too crazy. Right. Are like being done. We can do this now. Like the uh, the 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 event she was talking about. I was I walked up to the group and I was like, all right, I need six people for this exit. We're gonna do a, a six way round exit. Three of you guys are gonna be out facing, which would be like, get out of here. And sure. And now they're like, I'm in, and we launch it and it works and it cool. This shit works. And then we fought over the out facing slots. Yeah. It's gonna be of my course. Name. Of course. Well, the, I mean, it's the tunnel, right? The tunnel's just taking it all to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I like seeing, well, like, um, I'm not a tunnel rat, as you know. Uh, I did work at the tunnel, but I've never gone to crazy levels in the tunnel because I'm just not. Also, I worked in Orlando, which is not the best of tunnels. Sure. Um, but what? Well, it's it's nice to see that I've seen people shred like nobody else in the tunnel, um, like smoke me by miles. And then we put us together in the sky and it's completely reversed. Yeah. 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 They, they're, they're good. They're okay in the sky, but they have so much to learn. So it's, it's a situation where I can learn from them in the tunnel. They can learn from me in the sky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, very happy to to see that there's definitely crossover between the two sports, but they are definitely two different sports. Yeah, it's it's body flight, but they are two different sports. And I think the 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 mental game with skydiving, you have to earn every bit of it. Um, I, I mean, you have to earn your time in the sport and the jumps that you've got, whereas the tunnel, you kind of you don't skip that the fear factor, but it's certainly dramatically less than it is in skydiving. Yeah. So you, you well, like, yeah, when it comes to doing bigger stuff too, like you can't really emulate big formations in a tunnel. Now we have the tunnel where you can fit 40 yeah. people in, but yeah. 40 is not 80, a hundred, 200, like flying in a 10 plane formation, you know? And so the the skill set and the body of experience that you develop being a skydiver like he has for 20 years 20 plus years now is going to help you to be able to function and and you know do the thing in those high pressure situations that even they could fly that slot if they don't have the canopy skills or the the canopy awareness or the landing or you know sure sure now what about this little one if uh uh, is she going to be a jumper when she gets a little older What do you say, Cora? No. Yeah. You never want to jump out of the plane. Not even a test. Tell them how many many skydives you have, though. Like 40. You have 40 skydives. In utero. Ah, oh, fair enough. Fair enough. She also has about 20 tandems in utero. Well, would it be considered three ways? Because it was me, the tandem passenger, and her? I think one of them would be a tandem because I'm on you. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's true. So I guess that would make her the secondary instructor on an in utero tandem. Yeah. <laughs> so no interest, no interest in skydiving when you get older. You don't want to jump. You don't want to jump, babe. Yeah. Is it completely out of the question, or is it a possibility? Possibility for very well. <laughs> We live in a bizarro world. It's so backwards when parents are trying to talk their kids into doing silly shit. At some point, I'll strap her into a harness and just take her. She yeah. told me before that skydiving is boring. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Yeah, she just, I think she's also a very different human than us. Like, she is more of a worrywart and an anxiety monster and, like, you know, is 
fearful of the worst happening. Sure. Whereas we're aware that that can, we've experienced it, it has happened, but we're aware of it and we do everything that we can to mitigate it. So like, sure. But she doesn't know about all the risk mitigation. She's of just course. like, that's dangerous. That's scary. Yeah. My yeah. daughter's the same. My daughter doesn't really have any driving desire to be a skydiver. She's done a couple of tandems and they were fun for her, but she's on her own path and she's a working professional now and, and doing her own thing. So, uh, which doesn't hurt my feelings. Like if she had wanted to be a skydiver, it would have been okay. But I, I don't know that I would have wanted her to follow in my lifestyle, but the yeah. sport, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. And that's, that's the thing too. Like, and in this past year, we've been talking a lot about with project 19 and inspiring others to live bold, brave lives. Like, I think that we can exemplify those things for them and they'll take that into other aspects of their life. Even if they don't follow in our footsteps with skydiving, if they see us, you know, meeting these challenges head on and doing these really terrifying things and like doing them with composure and with presence of mind and with safety in mind and all of that, it can still you know, inspire them in other areas. Sure. And by the way, major props for all the pro- the Project 19 shit. You guys are fucking killing it. It was awesome. I yeah, mean, I was, so badass. It, it was literally one of the most inspiring, impactful experiences of my entire skydiving career. And I, I was very late to the game because I wasn't current for many, many years from my neck injury. And so I was only doing subterminal jumps, mm. but he and Sharon did uh, a couple of camps and did some big way camps. And I was like, can we do some more big way flying? Like I literally texted Sharon, when can we do another big way camp? And this was like three, four months before project 19. And I was like, she said, well, are you asking because you just want to do it and it's fun? Or are you asking because like, <laughs> Have you, got a you, goal? Wanna, you want to do this? And I was like, I don't know, maybe. And she's like, you should go to the Project 19 tryout camp. And it was the very last one. So oh, wow. three, weeks, three weeks later, I went to the last tryout camp and I got an invite to the bench, which I was really happy about. And Rock and roll. You know, being so uncurrent, I was like, I don't have any expectations if they use me, great. It's going to be an amazing experience. But it sure. was like, it was incredible and profound and unforgettable. And she well, was on a 97 way. And I flew eight seconds on a 97 way. I was the last diver out of the left trail plane and the last to dock on the formation. And I held on to it for eight incredibly beautiful seconds. And I just... I'll, I'll never forget that. Oh, of course I you won't. Camera, but it's like, it's on repeat in my mind very often. Well, you know, the funnest, the coolest thing about that and that project specifically was I was literally on the other side of the world watching it happen through posts here and there. And I'd still just get the vibe off of it and the tingle off of what was going on. And it was super inspiring. And I, believe me, I know it's not meant to inspire middle-aged white guys, but I was still super <laughs> inspired. Still <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, well, it's from the outside looking in, right. I'm like, this is so impressive. And it's so wonderful to see something like this happening in a sport that I've embraced for so many years and yeah. just kind of two steps in front of the rest of the world doing really cool shit like that. Yeah. I'm so proud of everyone. They just did such a great job with that event and they're rewriting the way that these kinds of things are being done. And I just fucking love it. Yep. I'm yep. so in for all of it. Speaking of what was the, uh, the neck injury? Um, I had a, a canopy that was really old when I bought it from Peter G. It had probably, I don't know, 2000 jumps on it. And that one tended to smack me. So I had some really hard openings, like five in a short amount of time that caused me to have a herniation in my neck and several bulging discs in my neck. So I, I continued to jump and live in pain for a very long time. 
and continued doing videos and tandems. And then while we were in Israel, I finally got a CT scan that diagnosed what the issue was, but I still didn't have a, a solution on how to fix it. And then that's when we came back here and I found yoga. I was like, well, that's it. So you, you didn't, no surgical intervention? No surgical intervention. I used to have two or three times out of the year, I would be, I would have a flare up that I would be stuck in bed. Like Jonathan would literally have to lift me out of bed. I couldn't pick up my arm. Like yep. radiating pain was so bad. It was debilitating. I couldn't yep. pick up my, my baby. Yeah. And, uh, and so I started practicing yoga here at the yoga shed with Emma and then continued my practice and it's progressed through the years. And I have almost no flare ups anymore. And I haven't, I've avoided surgery completely. Well, we're going to talk stand on my head, stand on my shoulders. And it's, we're going to talk off podcast. Unfortunately for me, I am two surgeries in now. I've I've yeah. had four discs removed and replaced and broke one of the discs and had it replaced and stuff. But I know that uh, I still have enough range of motion that yoga is still an option. But if this yeah. is a lesson for any of the newer jumpers uh, listening, do fucking yoga. Stretch for Christ's sakes. Because, yeah. man, and strengthen, oh man. Strengthen all those surrounding muscles, too. I mean, like one whiplash could be all that you need to to have some kind of injury occur. Oh yeah. But like it can be prevented. You can yep. prevent having those things by, you know, good canopy maintenance, getting your relines when they need before it needs to be relined. You yep. know, there's all all sorts of ways that you can avoid it. Yeah. Don't well, keep jumping a canopy that's whacking you. I had, send a PD and say, this one's fucked and they will concur. I had uh, um, one bad opening that I guarantee was the catalyst for most of the injuries. And Jonathan, it would have been working with you. You probably would have been on the load. I was shooting video for Mark Norman and blew up a parachute, nose to tail, oh, yeah. top and bottom skin. But it wasn't even on the, uh, the attachment point of the pilot chute. It was two cells over. How you oh. do that, I don't know. Uh, but it hit me so hard, I couldn't work for two weeks. And, and uh, luckily, oh. we had a a chiropractor with an MD wife that wrote me a prescription for a fuck ton of Vicodin. So I was just high for two weeks and, and not in pain, yeah. but I mean, I, when we were working at it, I remember having uh, had a camera helmet that had the the plate where the still camera was upside down in front. Yeah. And I had an opening that was so hard that this like quarter inch aluminum plate bent and, upward. Yeah. How fast my head went down. Yep. And, and we were just tougher. We survived. <laughs> Whatever, man. Tough or we stupid? Did, uh, mostly stupid, I think. You're gonna yeah. be stupid. You better be tough. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were stupid and tough, and some of us just weren't tough enough. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's funny because uh, you know I've got all the aches and pains, and I've talked to a lot of the guys that have been in the sport as long as I have. I had a a really great conversation with uh, Shannon Pilcher, who deals with a lot of injuries and pain. Jeff Provenzano deals with uh, stuff like that, and all these rock stars, and all of us have the same opinion, which was, I did it to myself. So for as much as I want to be pissed that everything hurts when I wake up in the morning at the end of the day, I kind of earned all of this. So it's, it's a very bittersweet kind of pain every time you wake up. Cause a, it hurts, but B I'm still waking up. So yeah. 
Well, and Shannon and Shawan are good friends of ours too. And Shannon and I have talked a lot about pain management and stuff. And we're actually starting to do cold plunging in this past year. Yep. So that is another thing that I'll say, like we have a bathtub in our backyard and we've been doing cold plunges a lot. And that's also really helpful. And I think the lesson to, to take from all of this is that like, there are some pains that you have to go through, whether it's like stretching tight muscles or strengthening weak areas that you shouldn't avoid because if you avoid them and you don't do these things that are going to help you in the long run, you're going to end up with a pain you can't avoid for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Something. So, well, and the cold plunges just give you, I mean, above and beyond everything else, it gives you a hell of a buzz for the rest of the day. I had uh, yeah. uh, Jason Maletsky came to stay with me while he was getting some tattoo work done. And I live just outside of Helsinki. Uh, and there's a place just down the street from me that actually chips the ice out of the Baltic. Oh, and I has saw a- that video. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was in, I was just behind him. Well, that water was two degrees Celsius and we were in oh, it for yeah. five oh, minutes. I'm uh, in. Yes. Yes. You guys tell me when to pick gonna, you up. We're going to come visit you. Well, we're yes. going to this year to get tattoos. And uh, so next year, we'll come visit you. We'll Hell yes. Up. Well, because uh, we've been, uh, this last winter, we went up to uh, Lapland. We'll be going again this year and probably a yearly thing to see the Northern Lights. And and there's this beautiful lake and a cabin that we stay up in there and cold plunge as well. But that's straight zero degree Celsius water. Holy okay, so shit. Can, can we make this plan right now? I know we're, I'm inviting us on your trip to Lapland, but can we go cold plunge in the Northern yes. Lights next yes. year together? Yes. Okay. Without a doubt, without I a doubt. Would, aside, aside from the the trip and all that, I would just be so happy to meet you again, see you again in yeah. person. Right, dude. Oh. I was so stoked. I told Ella this. Is, between <laughs> two I, I had sent her a message. I'm like, your man has not fucking changed in all these years. And then when she confirmed that you guys would come on the podcast, I was literally bouncing around the house going, fucking Yonatan's coming on. Holy shit. This is great. <laughs> Because it's been so many years and we were, I mean, Ella, we were such a tight crew in Cross Keys that after the two busy seasons we worked together, we all had similar accents. We all had a little Cross Keys weird accent because we (laughs) just hung around our group and nobody else. Like outsiders would come in and kind of say hello, but I mean, you're Monday through Monday with the same crew day after day, night after night. And oh, it was just a spectacular time. Yeah, it really was. I kind of wish I had found you all. Do you, a do you remember when you, me, and Jacko moved into Squeaky Springs, as it was nicknamed? Yes, I remember Squeaky Springs. I do at that. Although, let's be honest, there was only one room the squeaking was really coming out of, and it yeah. wasn't yours or mine. No, definitely, <laughs> definitely not mine. Yeah, and it was that was it was more of a, a fucking jackhammer sound than it was a squeak, but <laughs> but yeah, those were those were absolutely fantastic times. And the cool thing about it, and my favorite thing about skydiving is you're a member of a community for life, and those memories that you have with these people tie you to people all around the world forever. Yeah. You know, I mean, just some really honestly spectacular people. And I mean, it's yeah. so good to sit sit down and talk to you again after all these years. And by the way, before I forget about it, I know it's morning time for you guys, but because it's the fourth of July, I'd like to raise a toast. Raise my coffee. Yeah, yeah. Cheers to Sister Sarah and to all those that have gone before us. uh, Two amazing memories and fantastic people. Yeah. All right. As we wrap things up, 
first off, if you're doing coaching or jumping or anything like that, how do people find you? How do people come jump with you? Give me social media if you want to give it out. Um, and then two, I want you to give advice to people either just getting into or just getting burned out on the sport. Jonathan, you'll be able to give good advice on this. How do you either avoid burnout or how do you deal with burnout in such a way that you can still come back? Um, for me, a lot of the burnout was just working at the sport too long. Mm. And you need to give it a break if you're getting burnt out and, and just find the fun and the skydives and for me to find the fun the skydives was taking off the camera mm. not watching the video and being in the moment of the skydive because when you're in the skydive and you all you remember is the skydive itself it's amazing and then you watch the video and you start seeing all the little things that you did wrong and it you ruin it for yourself sure enjoy the skydive and enjoy all skydives meaning go do a belly jump if you're a free flyer, go do a belly jump that you think is stupid because it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. It's the stupid skydives are so much fun. We did a, a speed star competition a few weeks ago, which was so it was amazing. Amazing. Belly speed star. Well, we were doing <laughs> free fly too. Okay, we started free flying and then we're like, okay, we're losing. So let's switch it to belly. <laughs> and, uh, and then we fucking rocked it. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And it's so much fun. Uh, speed star. How point break of you. <laughs> I want, I want to get new people into sports when we're doing speed start. Yeah, nice, uh, nice. Ella, how uh, um how uh, do people come out and either do coach jump with with you or anybody you know or or uh, they're just thinking about getting into skydiving? I've got a group called the Beginner Skydiving Forum that uh, tunes in a yeah. lot. So um, they're out in the Florida area. Where do they go? Who do they talk to? Okay, well, actually, after almost 18 years in the sport, I just got my AFFI rating in the last year. Yes. So that's exciting. And yes. I've already had a couple of students. Um, so we could do uh, AFF, we could do coaching, they can come to the land, contact either Jonathan or myself or free flight coaching or anything. We're also organizing some events like he's doing vertical stuff. I'm also doing vertical stuff. But this year, I'm organizing an all female uh, belly event. So nice. FF sequential in September. Um, right before nationals, where I'm also competing for the first time. Nice. I know. I'm doing four-way. What the hell? <laughs> <It's gonna be laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, but about the about the burnout question and just tagging on to what Yano said, I think diversify. Like there's so many different aspects of this sport that you can do. So if you're getting fed up with something, whether it's the place, go somewhere else, you know, find a different crew if, that, if that's not your people or try a different aspect of the sport. And and but also remember that if you're, you know, a badass free flyer and you're stepping into wingsuiting or base or whatever, like remember that you are a beginner, like mm. let go of the ego. Don't be complacent. Go back to that beginner mind. Like hopefully people will always have that beginner mind of mm. I'm always going to learn. I'm always going to be safety conscientious. Super um, humbling. Going yes. yes, it is humbling. something new like wingsuiting. Holy crap. I was like, <laughs> ah, it's going to be easy. The only mm. thing I could think of throughout the sky was, oh my God, I'm going to die. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, and if you want to do wingsuiting, like we have Arcus flight with Dan Darby and Ashley Richmond and they're the best and they're right here in Deland too. So they're our coaches. He's our base mentor and everything. So awesome. Just try new stuff, meet new people, go, go to new places, take a break if you need it. Like when I wasn't skydiving, I was doing other things. I was surfing, I was free diving, paddle boarding, yoga, whatever. And like, it shouldn't be your everything either because sure. you never know 
when you or the you know the universe might decide you can't jump anymore for physical reasons or some other reason so like it shouldn't be the thing that's keeping you together or that keeps you sane it can be something that enhances our life and brings us connection of community and all that but like diversify not just within the sport but outside of the sport connect with your jumpers in other ways and that's going to maybe bring you back into the fold and make you want to jump again. So. Sure, sure. Actually, that's the same uh, advice that Provenzano uh, gave. He said, most of the learning uh, in the sport, in my opinion, happens off the drop zone with jumpers, mm. yeah. um, which I completely agree with. And yeah, the burnout thing, uh, it's also nice to know if you're kind of burning out that your place in the community doesn't leave just because you're not going to the drop zone for a while. Um, and right. I think people worry about that. They worry, I'm not, nobody's going to remember me. I'm not going to be part of the community again. That's bullshit. You're always part of the community. Um, and this is proof of that. I mean, 17 years and you and I could sit and talk like we hung out yesterday. So, yeah. you know, it, it's crazy. It. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. This has been fantastic. Guys, I cannot thank you enough. It took a little uh, bobbing and weaving and dodging to get it done, but I'm so glad we finally got down and, and were able to talk. Yeah. And we got to make sure it's not 17 years next time. It's just until next winter when you come to Lapland. Yes. It is. It's next winter. We're so going to set a date. <laughs> proper cold plunging. Guys, thank you so much, man. Much love from the frozen north. Thank you. Take care, so guys. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Lunatic Fringe Podcast brought to you as always by, well, wait, not as always, actually. Brought to you now by Gyro. Formerly known as Enziero Sports, you'll head to gyro.com for their next level line of canopies. By Pussfoot, the Extreme Sports Collective. Head over to pussfoot.com to check it out. By Summit Parachute Systems, Check out SummitParachuteSystems.com to talk to Jarrett Martin and the gang about kick-ass pilot rigs, rigging courses, and more. By FlyAway Indoor Skydiving. Go to FlyAwayTN.com and check out all the cutting-edge stuff to come. By Pure Spectrum CBD. Head to PureSpectrumCBD.com to check out their wide range of CBD products. And as for us, head to the LunaticFringePodcast.com to listen to any of the hundreds of episodes currently available. Hit the link for our YouTube channel, pick up your copy of the Lunatic Fringe book or The Accidental Stripper, and get a sneak peek at upcoming guests. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.